There is a massive regenerative revolution growing and myceliating all over the world right now, and we're going to explore it together. After all, we humans, we're a pretty brilliant species, and we totally can play positive roles on the planet that help the planet heal and help each other heal. Together, we're embarking on an exploration of this movement through interviews with a diverse array of brilliant human beings leading the way towards this drastic, ecologically and socially positive lifestyle and systems change that is needed to turn our modern society around. I'm your host, Jennings Ingram. The topics that we'll be covering will include food forestry, agroforestry, permaculture, bio and mycoremediation, alternative currencies, alternative business structures, effective communication, and ways to heal and expand our consciousness with psychedelic and plant medicines. You guys ready? Let's do this. Hello, everyone. Welcome. We are here today with Michael Smith, the inventor that many of you may know from the documentary The Need to Grow. Michael is a brilliant inventor that works with different energy systems that are good for the planet and build soil. Hi, Michael. Thank you for being here. Well, it's an honor to be here. This is exciting. In beautiful Maui, this is the second time I've been to this island. Wow. Well, we're so glad to have you here. Would you just give us a little intro of who you are and what you do for people that haven't seen the documentary? Yeah. I'm the um, mad scientist that's portrayed in the film as a brilliant inventor, Mm -hmm. right? Anyway, that's, you know, kind of an internal joke. I spent most of my life working in computer animation and video effects, 3D modeling, and working with everyone from companies like Walt Disney to Stan Winston, special effects, to electronic arts for game animation and artificial intelligence. But I've always been connected to the earth. I've always wanted to do something for the planet. Early on, ever since high school, I felt that there was a need to focus our energy on being not only sustainable, but regenerative, which is now the new buzzword in all kinds of agriculture. Yeah, it is, isn't it? (laughs) This podcast, I'm actually calling the Regenerative Revolution Podcast, so you're in the right place. All right, yes. (laughs) Well, if things aren't regenerative, what happens? You know, I mean, sustainability means that you're just keeping the status quo, but if you're regenerating, you're actually bringing more power, more energy into the system. Yeah, so the loss of our natural resources has been phenomenal over the course of human history. You know, you can go back 10,000 years and ask the question, when were we first living sustainably? And ever since we started agriculture on this planet, we started extracting resources and mining. And I don't want to go back to being a cave dweller, but really that's about the time when we started to diverge. We started looking at nature as something that we could extract from rather than to live within. And so what's really intriguing to me about the power systems that you were working to design, the one highlighted in the need to grow is called the green powerhouse, is that they are reversing that trend, essentially, the trend of environmental degradation and turning it back towards creating systems that feed life in the way that the earth really needs. Yeah, absolutely. The green powerhouse was really my first attempt at trying to create a closed-loop system. When I came up with the idea, I was still working in artificial intelligence and modeling behavior. And we were looking at animated characters on the screen. And I thought, if I could put the same amount of intelligence into a power system that we're putting into one of these silly game characters, (laughs) we could change the world. So that was, you know, what started me. And I thought, okay, well, let's 
try to model an ecosystem. We knew that in nature there was no such thing as waste. Everything becomes the input to another system. And if there isn't something there, then an organism or set of organisms move in to fill that niche. And eventually you have a closed-loop system. So I thought, well, okay, let's figure out how many components we need to close the loop, to take carbon where it's... uh, accumulating in the atmosphere and figuring out a way to draw it down and get it back into the soil where it's doing more good. And so some of the key components that you work with in these living systems that you design are one way of drawing carbon back down into the soil, which is, of course, biochar, which is highlighted in the green powerhouse. And that's just one player that you're now working with in this living cast, right? You moved from video games to working with these these living organisms. So um, I know algae is a big part of what you work with as well. Yeah. So there are a number of of systems, but if you look at the energy sources, I mean, virtually every source of energy on this planet besides nuclear is comes from the sun. It's all solar. And so people are often trying to compare what I do with the solar energy system. And I said, well, it is a solar energy system. It's mm-hmm. just photosynthetic. It's not photovoltaic. So as we look at these different components and how we hook them together, we have in the documentary, we talk about the liquid prairie mm-hmm. and we talk about the dragon, which is the thing that makes biochar. And we talk about some... Um, It wasn't mentioned, but it is a very important part of the whole system, is the buffalo. If you look at the plains animals that that were here on the mainland for um, centuries, um, millennia, and how they generated and built up the soil in the Midwest. And so I thought, well, is there a way that we can simulate that? And I thought, well, yeah, um, let's just build a little ruminant that can take algae, which is our liquid prairie, and biodigest it. It's a little more sophisticated than biodigestion, but then to break that down into a fertilizer, biostimulants, and power, because you know obviously an eight thousand pound animal that's roaming around the on the prairies needs power. So we just say, well, let's take that power, and rather than putting it into an animal, let's put it into the electricity that runs the facility. Wow. So that is the sort of the closed loopness of it. The output from one system becomes the input of the next. I mean, basically these systems that you're building, these energy systems, they emulate what nature's already doing, mm-hmm. learning from these processes of nature, whereas in nature we know there's no waste. Exactly what you said happens. The output of one becomes the input of another. And so you're emulating these natural systems, but just accelerating them. That's right. And we can because in... The creation of some of the biostimulants we've seen, we took a sample and we sent it to you know, an agricultural analysis station and they asked us, what, are the, what is the basis of our, where do our humics come from? Mm. And we say, well, it's coming from algae and biochar. And their response was, we don't believe you. And so then we had to go through all of these processes to show there were no other inputs into the system. But then as we looked at it, we thought, well, where, where do humics humic acid and fulvic acid come from. We derive them from something called leonardite shale, which is the overburden to coal as plant matter begins to break down and compress before it becomes a fossilized fuel. It goes through a stage where it's creating humic substances. And it's the bacteria and that process of slow process. It, you know, it takes thousands, maybe even millions of years to accumulate much of it. That's why it was really hard for these people to believe that we're actually producing these at the scale we are. And uh, so we thought, well, wow, what we're doing inside of our cyber bison, <laughs> right, our little <laughs> buffalo, 
is that we're isolating bacteria and we're, we're taking um, the biomass or the algal biomass through different stages of digestion with different bacteria. And some of the bacteria fight with the other bacteria. You can do all this in one container, but if you separate each of the stages and allow the bacteria to have its own free reign, you can accelerate the process, we've discovered. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, so just let's just back it up a little bit. I didn't want to get too technical <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. there. <laughs> so, I mean, so basically what you're doing is you're creating these energy systems using natural processes that, that do not require any type of fossil fuel, and in fact, they are creating products that help regenerate the earth. So... Um, is that is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's um, you know, uh, often so exciting when we, you know, it's it's kind of funny because people, you know, when I see something like an aquaculture system, right, and people have a natural system, they have some fish that are generating a waste product that is a fertilizer for plants, and then that plants it circulates through the plants, and the plants clean it up, and they grow, and then the clean water gets circulated back into the fish, all right? Mm -hmm. And so as I was sitting there looking at the system, I thought, well, our bison, we could call it the fish as well because mm -hmm. it's really doing the same thing. What do fish eat? They eat plankton and phytoplankton and, you know, phyto and uh, zooplankton. And so I thought, well, yeah, that's really interesting. We're feeding this um, system that contains all these bacteria that in different stages um, an input that has really high in energy. So if you look at a buffalo out there on the prairie, and what are they doing? They're eating grass. Grass is a photosynthetic process, except the energy from the sun. It takes some of the micronutrients from the soil. It produces, you know, something that's great. I mean, it can actually sustain a herd of buffalo, mm. right? But imagine if you have something like algae, which can be as high as 60% protein, Right. right. Some of these algaes are cyanobacteria. Technically, they're not an algae, but uh, we often call them blue-green algae. Mm -hmm. um, they are extremely high in nutrients and energy. And if we can extract the energy and isolate the nutrients and feed those back to the plants, you have something, you know, you sustain the reaction, we like to say, in our system. I mean, I remember you said at one point in the documentary that algae is higher in energy than coal. Pound. That's true. I mean, wow. where does where does coal come from? It comes from compressed plant matter, usually. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> we used to joke that it was compressed dinosaurs, but there really weren't enough dinosaurs around to produce that amount of coal. Mm -hmm. So the um, the idea is that um, as the plant matter compresses, there's some loss of the energy, even right. though it's concentrated pound for pound. It is higher in energy than coal, but coal is pretty dense, so you have to you know, put that into the, the sure. formulation. So for people listening, they might be like, all right, well, algae sounds really cool. It's obviously important and nutrient dense and energy rich and all these things, but how are you actually using algae to, to create green energy? Well, when you, when the bacteria start pulling apart, it just like any green energy, if you, if you take a bunch of leaves and you stack them in your yard and you stack them high enough, the bottom of the pile creates something called anaerobic, bio, anaerobic bacteria. Mm -hmm. And it'll start to degrade until it starts producing methane. And then the methane itself mm -hmm. is a hydrocarbon that can be used to combust 
Um, and the combustion, what we do is we take the energy byproducts and we combust them in a generator and we recapture the exhaust from the generator and feed that back to the algae. So that way yeah. we're closing the loop. We're drawing it back down and we can also use it to accelerate the breakdown of other plant matter. Right. Okay, so an example of like one of these systems that I know about just from watching the documentary for people as an example is that it's basically wood, like waste wood, goes mm -hmm. into uh, this type of pyrolysis yeah. reactor. That's a different reactor. That's the dragon. Yeah, and then from there, the, the carbon dioxide from the pyrolysis goes to feed the algae. And then the algae is harvested and biodigested and used to enrich the biochar. And then also the methane from the algae is harvested to be burned again to help the pyrolysis process and to heat this material. And that's a closed loop system. That's great. And that's one example of, of this kind of system. And you were mentioning that depending on where you are and what your goals are, you can use these types of natural processes in different configurations that still result in the creation of this, this sustainable energy. Yeah, so one of the things we didn't talk about, and I don't want to frighten anybody with this. Oh, God. But, <laughs> but is this uh, system I'm working on, I call it natural intelligence. So I mentioned that I had been working in artificial intelligence right. for game characters. And the more I examined what we were doing to create, to imitate or to mimic the behavior of human beings in game characters, I realized, well, this is not really artificial. This is a very natural. We're deriving our inputs by putting these motion capture suits on people and having them run around. We had, mm. you know, Tiger Woods and Beckham and all of these great uh, athletes, and we were actually sampling their natural motion. So I thought, wow, let's forget about this artificial stuff and start talking about natural intelligence. So as I started developing the system, somebody asked me one time, what is controlling the system You know, where, where we were growing the algae? And I said, well, the algae controls it. Wow. And that almost sounded like, to, and, and it was an epiphany <laughs> for me because it's true. When we monitor the response of the algae, it tells you what it needs. And so what we're doing is we're tapping into the natural intelligence of these biosystems and we're using those as feedback to control the energy production and the production of the soil and everything. And when that system is in balance, it creates just a wonderful, you know, regenerative set of organisms. Now, I mean, you can do that in the natural world, obviously. That's where we're getting the information. But we're losing soil at 10 times the rate that we can create it at this time. So I thought, well, perhaps there is a way that we can accelerate the process, speed it up by 10 or a hundredfold or a thousandfold so that yeah. we can compensate for what we're doing. And that's how these bioenergy systems started to spin off. So technology is a part of, of these energy systems that you build because you've yeah. figured out a way to, to have the algae communicate with you? Yeah, that's, <laughs> the, that's the whole premise behind. Um, so oh the other God. part of the system, which is part of the Earth Power Lodge, so the new systems that we're developing are well beyond the green powerhouse system that you've, okay. you saw in the documentary. That was like, that's just, that technology is now 12 years old. Oh. In the realm of technology, that's almost an eternity. So as we started investigating further how we can advance these systems, we said, well, it's more about the operating system that controls all of the components that we link together. And so we thought, well, what are we going to call this operating system? And we call it the Natural Solutions Engine, the wow. NSE. 
So the NSC looks at all of its different waste streams and manages these components to figure out how to balance them so that we're not producing waste and how to maximize the energy outputs from them. I, I don't mean to get too technical on you, but, <laughs> but I am a little bit of a nerd when it comes down to technology. So I think figure, well, we have technology with us. You know, it's going to be here for a while. We need energy and we need to fix what we're doing. So how can we take the quantum leap to the next level, do things that are natural, but yet have technology to assist us? That's the premise of this system. So you are combining together these processes of creating different energy sources that also feed the planet, like for instance, the biochar enriched with algae example. And, and using that to create power. And I'm wondering, what are some other, some of these loops that are energy creating? I could talk about this all day long and probably put everybody to sleep in well, the process. Well, just maybe a couple different examples. <laughs> okay. The idea is that if we start to look at the components, now let's look at our game characters, right? So now think we've gamified energy and soil regeneration. We've created mm. this new thing, right? And the characters now, rather than being competitive, they are ultimately cooperative. Ooh. So we flip the paradigm. We say, you know, they're bending over backwards. One of them saying, man, I have a whole bunch of CO2. What, you know, what can I do with it? And there's another component that raises its hands and says, hey, I'm here. I can really use that. Oh, I can use a little bit of your heat. So these data packets are flowing back and forth between the various components. And they're, they're taking them in and they're saying, okay, well, if you're producing that too much, where can we use the excess in another place? Well, you might with a new system, the Earth Power Lodge, which is well beyond what I did before, mm. is we can plug in new components and we can scale it. So we can say, well, in Hawaii, we don't need as much heat energy for, as we do in Montana to maintain, mm. a, the, to sustain the reaction in the system or to balance the system. So we can use a lot of the solar and just the passive energy here, and then we can rely more on other um, the sources and outputs to balance the system. So that way we can unplug, you know, I like to think of it as like the USB bus on your computer. Mm. And uh, right, you can plug in a phone, you can plug in a printer, you can plug in a scanner, you can even plug in one of these fancy microphone um, pre-amplifiers like we have here, right, <laughs> <laughs> that feed into systems. So the bus that you have, the USB bus, I mean, it's primarily a data bus that manages things. And there are some signals or some analog stuff that happens between. But when you think about our bus, our bus is a bus full of waste streams and useful outputs. Oh, I see. And you plug these little components in with the natural solutions engine, they all have a certain amount of intelligence built into them, and they try to adapt. They say, this is, if you plug in a new one, it says, this is who I am, and this mm. is what I do. This is what I need, and this is what I output. Right? Wow, okay, so the technology is basically matching up these organisms so that they provide for each other's needs. Yeah, and the organisms are driving the individual components because you don't want to overdrive a system. A lot of the times we look in terms of energy production, we think, well, if we just build a bigger thing, then we can generate more power. And we're constantly into this more power, more power. But we are also now beginning to understand how we must become more efficient. Mm -hmm. And efficiency is an extremely important part of our survival at this point. Yeah. So these systems are also teaching us about efficiency. Nature is already one of the best biomimicry right. teachers for 
controlling the efficiency of systems. I'm in my head drawing parallels to this work with it's very similar in a way to permaculture and food forestry where we're matching up species with where they're providing the needs for other species. I'm thinking of you plant a tree and then you also want to plant mulch plants and you want to plant, if it's a young tree, you want to plant a nursery tree that's going to give it shade until it's large enough to grow up into the canopy or whatever level of the canopy it's supposed to be at. And you want to plant pollinator plants to bring the bees and these things so that it gets its flowers and fruit pollinated. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So this this is like a very advanced, like kicking that up a whole lot of notches with an aim towards producing these green power sources. Yeah, yeah, that's um, wow. So one of the <laughs> we we call it we called it our waste byproduct is electricity that comes off of these. So what we're doing now in in our current civilization, we have you know we have all these modern conveniences, and uh, it was a long time ago when I was studying physics at the University of Utah that I first started seeing how. We would go to an area and we'd re- remove a mountaintop to get to the coal so that we could create a power plant so we could transmit that energy down to California. And there were a few of us that were saying, wait, you don't want to do that next design National Park mm-hmm. because then you're going to foul the atmosphere. And by doing that, you're going to degrade the quality of our life. And for what reason? So those were the, the beginning stages. I think well, we're on this course you know, as human beings, um, how can we do this without, like I say, reverting back to the caves? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it wouldn't work. I mean, I'm sure that we'd have an uprising and there would be too much turmoil. Yeah. So how do we induce people into a new sort of greener way of thinking about how we can live in, in um, compliance with what is necessary to survive? This raises the question for me, you know, of the accessibility and opportunities for participation in these kinds of power systems for, for example, I'm a young person trying to find my way along the regenerative path and I'm not, I can't necessarily write these computer codes and a lot of people might not have access. Can we talk about the accessibility of this? Yeah, I mean, that's a project that we're doing here. We're going through an efficacy slash feasibility study and we're meeting with the local farmers. The goal is to have systems that work with the community. It's not a corporate move to where we're going to become the next extraction technology, you know, and we're going to extract resources or revenue or human capital or whatever from the system. The idea is they're local, so each community would have one or a multiple number of these systems, and most of the revenue or the byproducts, whether it's monetary or just commodities that are important that we need to sustain life, flows back into the local community. Right, And then we take a small percentage just so we can help build the next one in the next community. And then we get that one going. We have some projects that we're looking at. One of them is on the Sinai Peninsula, whether or not we can restore that area um, to make it sustainable for more human life or more animal life. Here, it's another thing. We have a lot of depleted soil in this area that's been devastated by sugarcane and pineapple farming. Mm, Yeah. And it's, uh, some of the soil is toxic. In Whitefish, we had a, a very interesting program that came in. It's the Whitefish Sustainability Center. We had some students that were doing a little permaculture slash ecosystem thing that they were developing. And they got some soil donated to them from a so-called organic 
you know, farmer. And when they used the soil, it would grow nothing. So when they took it in to have it analyzed at the university, Montana State University, they came back and said it was contaminated with amino pyrolyte, very much similar to glyphosate. Yeah. And so they thought, well, we can't dig all the soil out and it's too expensive to replace it. So the advanced chemistry class said, well, what can we do to remediate the problem? So they came to us and we donated some materials to them. And they said, okay, let's see if these biostimulants will accelerate the breakdown of this in the soil. And so this led us to a whole new thing. It's called bioremediation. So not only are these energy systems that we're producing, producing these soil fertilizer things, but they're also producing something that can be used in bioremediation because the contamination of soils and environment, we've even seen them effective in cleaning up oil spills. Yeah. So that is uh, it's a whole new frontier. I mean, there are people already working in this, these areas, but if we can do it organically, the future is just going to be cool. <laughs> That's so cool. Okay, so I'm going to draw a couple of parallels here. I might say that kind of the way that the current job market or, or ways that people are earning money is extractive in a lot of ways. I'm thinking of these sorts of energy systems work to provide regenerative ways for people to make a living. So kind of cleaning up the capitalist pollution in a way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> At the same time as working to clean up this this soil pollution and the and the pollution from this dirty energy. And it's so cool. So it's like working in these different all these yeah. different realms together. It's it's natural intelligence. Wow. That we're going after not artif- nothing artificial in this, right? Yeah. So that's very important for us to do is to to say that it may be also a way that we can switch our economic system from a yes. death-based system, which is a harvest-based, extraction-based system, to a life-based system, to where we start to understand that the energy that a tree takes to grow into all of that beautiful biomass it has a value. It's not just the value of what it takes to cut down the tree, but the value of what it has done. I mean, we would be have a lot more respect and we would treat our resources more carefully if we understood you know, those systems. So this is a way of introducing us into a life-based economy. It may not be the ultimate answer, but it's, it's, it could be part of one. Wow, that is so cool. Oh my gosh. Ugh. I knew that these projects were inspiring, but this is a whole nother, a whole nother level. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you was about finding sources of hope and like ways to move forward with positivity and positive ripples in 2021. You know, it, it sometimes things do feel bleak. I will say, you know, so. <laughs> So uh, I guess maybe let's just talk about the hope aspect of this well, work. Well, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what we're experiencing, I, you know, I don't want to get too spiritual on you, but it's, it's interesting. I'm spiritual. Yeah. Being, being a scientist, I'm actually probably one of the more spiritual people you'll run into in this area, yeah. right? cool. But sort of the Gaia principles, right? That our, the health of our planet is reflected in our own health. So I see as we start to work on one, we improve the other because mm-hmm. the, everything is connected. We know this now. I mean, even through quantum physics, the interaction of particles, what we call entanglement, strange entanglement, quantum entanglement, that the reaction of one system ultimately f- reflects the behavior of another system. So as we start behaving and acting more in harmony with this amazing organism that we call Earth, and I think of it as this organism with all these parts and systems operating, then 
we'll start to see big changes in everything, right? Rather than the planet trying to reject us as an invasive species, <laughs> <laughs> it might it might accept us in in uh, you know as the next. Um, consciousness or the evolutionary stages of things. Now I am getting a little bit off the track here. Right? No, <laughs> but, I, it, it is because that's hopeful to me. You know, these possibilities for collaboration with the planet. That's what, you yeah. know, for me, why I started on this whole track. It was like, wow, yeah. here's something yeah. I can do. I can plant these communities of plants that will feed people yeah. and sure. sequester carbon. And so I think working with these organisms in a way where the associations between us and them are positive yeah. for the living organism of earth upon which we depend yeah. is like pretty clearly the most crucial thing we can be doing at this point in time. Yeah. Well, the indigenous people have already been, you know, they've known this for their entire lifespan. We came in and and started doing the separation theory, right? The dominance thing, you know, it's just a matter of get rid of the ego and say, look, we are really part of this. We are not the masters of this. You know, we do not own the planet. The planet owns us. We are part of this system. Those are the important things that we have to start realizing. And that way, maybe it'll modify our behavior a little bit. Start working in unison with all these other systems that you're talking about. Because that's what we have to do. I'm curious. So you said you kind of felt this from a younger age. When I was watching the documentary, one thing that came to my mind was, you know, at what point did you realize that you wanted to use your intelligence to help nature? Like, at what point did you, you're like, I'm going to turn my mind towards these kinds of world-saving solutions. What woke you up? Well, it's all, it was always running in the background, kind of a low, at the low, below noise level. But what comes into the foreground are the typical survival things that we all have to deal with. You know, how do we feed our families and how do we sustain these things? And so a lot of those things get in the way of our vision. I believe that all, all of us are really ultimately in that fundamental state of we want to do better. We want to do what's best for everyone. There is also, you know, there are a few deviants in human behavior. You know, I call them sociopaths. And I thought, well, maybe there's a way that we can channel sociopaths to do the, our work for us if we, <laughs> without becoming a sociopath ourselves, right? Oh, God. So... You know, there's, um, and maybe some natural intelligence could plug into that model as well. So the idea is that there wasn't really a specific point. It was always kind of moving me in this direction. And it wasn't until I had the experience through having gone through all of the technological things that I actually could see a way of doing. I built my first anaerobic bioreactor or digester when I was just out of high school and I did it in the, my mom's basement. I had this massive system of hamster, a huge hamster cage. They had these things called habit trails, these little tubes that hooked together and they went everywhere. So I built up this little hamster empire. I called it Hamsterdam. And the idea was that I had all this waste and I thought, well, what am I going to do with this waste? And then I started researching how to convert, you know, waste into methane and fuel. When I first tested, I lit a match and opened up this little valve and put the match there and it went pop and boom and then hamster poo all over my room oh my and my God. mom comes running down the street what are you doing down here michael you're trying to blow the house up again so <laughs> anyway I, uh, oh my God. so yeah you know i've always had kind of a connection to the to the energy systems the bioenergy systems and that and a curiosity just you know, and I think we all have a natural curiosity of how we can do these things. So you always felt a curiosity, right, towards working with these natural energy systems. And then through your work in technology, you felt empowered to kind of approach it with this skill set. That actually describes it very well. And we all have our, our 
unique skill sets. Maybe they're not unique. Maybe they overlap a lot. But So I, I look at people and they say, well, I don't have any talent in this area. And you always you dig a little deeper and you just find all these talents. So actually what we're trying to do in this vein is we're trying to create a revolution. Yes. We're trying to create an army of people that can collaborate on these systems. So when we change the model so that it is not the overlord master and the, the minions, right? Mm. And that we're all participating in this. That, I think, is going to be more powerful than the other closed systems. I'm not talking about closed loop. I'm talking about closed to the economy, closed to everyone. When we have just isolated instances where this group of people can have access to capital and this group of people can have access to food and clean water and energy, when we realize that that is not the way this model works, then we have a lot more empowerment, we have a lot more power as a civilization, as a universal. So you're saying that creating these systems that are participatory and collaborative, as it is in an ecosystem, it's diverse, there's many different players. It's a team sport. It is definitely a team sport. <laughs> because as I've been trying to do this, if you've seen the documentary, you see some of the obstacles you start to encounter as yes. you're doing things. And the first stage might be people might not want you to succeed in this because they can see this could be damaging to their profits, income, their yeah. profits, <laughs> yeah. right? And then the next thing is, well, maybe what we do is we try to take control of the system and then we either run it ourselves or try to profit from it. The thing is, is that with a natural intelligence-based system, it has immune system built into it to prevent those things from happening. Oh, what do you mean by that? What's oh. the immune system? <laughs> well, I can't tell you all of my okay, secrets yeah, yeah. <laughs> right here, right? So the immune system of, of a, a, you know, sort of a natural intelligence-based system is that system itself. Mm -hmm. has the ability to expand itself and grow and proliferate and support community. And access to capital is one of the ways that a lot of really brilliant projects gets limited because it's very difficult for you to gain the capital you need to build a system. I mean, I struggled trying to get the first green powerhouse off the launch. You know, I got a grant. It was a third of what I needed to do it. Mm -hmm. But they wouldn't give me the money unless I could, said I could do it for that amount. And so I said, yeah, of course I can do that. So then once we got to that stage, then we could go out and we could raise money from friends and family. So we have ways of raising money now through philanthropic methods as well as just human capital that happens. You know, some people want to intern or donate time and come to work. So each one of these systems that we're developing, we're thinking of them as a campus. So the people that love to surf, you know, they, they come and work on the Maui campus. And the ones that <laughs> the ones that want to ski, they come to Montana wow. campus or whatever. So we can set these and similar to the restoration camps that John DeLue is setting up around the world. Mm -hmm. He started out with just like two yeah. And now he's got like 37 of them. And it's just been a few years. So this thing can go exponential. And so we have a community of these things. And they're networked. They're sharing information. They're growing exponentially. And before you know it, we're back to the garden. Well, I want to come be on the campus. I want to come be on the Maui campus. <laughs> Please sign me up. <laughs> yes, we're looking for Maui, Maui people. Once we get into construction, then it's going to be fun. So it's a little existential, right? But there's this one quote from the documentary that really stood out to me. It was from Brad Owen. He said, we will either save ourselves with stuff like this or we won't. And if we don't, we don't deserve to be here. And that it's a, you know, it's a little dark, but that really resonated with me because it's like, gosh, we have these solutions here. If we can just pull together and collaborate, you know, what do you think about that? Well, it is a little dark. Brad Owen was great. He was our general manager on the rebuild of the system after we lost it. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to ruin the film for anybody. <laughs> yeah. But um, Brad Owen, he's a hotshot by training. So he's a firefighter. Mm-hmm. So he was on site of a lot of the fires. And I'll, we have multiple hotshots working with us. Yeah, yeah. And they're on the front lines of fighting the loss of natural resource. And we're seeing, and they're seeing an increase of that. And so his view might be a little more dark because he Mm. sees what's happening to our planet from, you know, up front. And, uh, but I agree with him. I agree that as a species, we we really need to know how to get our act together. Yeah. If we don't get our act together, then you know we don't deserve to be here. Maybe it's time to allow some other species to mm. take our place. The algae. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's oh right. Algae is brilliant. It's a lot smarter than we think it is. Yeah. So I guess the last thing that I wanted to ask you about was life route recommendations for people, like particularly thinking of young people who want to be part of the regenerative movement. Just what you would what you would say. That's funny because I had people coming up to me when I was working for EA Sports and working on games like Madden and FIFA and soccer and all that. And they would say, wow, man, you must have been a gamer from way back. And I go, well, no, this is relatively new for me. All I did was study some math and physics and some sciences. But I was also, a lot of people don't know this, I was a musician for many years. I played in a rock band. And that's how I discovered a lot of places like Whitefish, Montana, was Mm -hmm. when I toured with a band. And so there's so much, there's so many different ways that we can come into this headspace, right? Just from every different aspect, from art and literature. For example, this, what we're doing right now, this is a very important part because we have to be able to communicate story. Without story, who are we? I mean, that's essentially what human beings are, right? You know, otherwise we're just a bunch of mindless drones running around on the planet burning up energy you know i look at that sometimes i go yeah let's get in our car and drive around until we don't have any more gasoline (laughs) but when you walk into a museum and you see beautiful art or you listen to beautiful music that is what inspires me to say yeah humans should be here we we -hmm. should continue to do these great things and even if and the merging of art and science, a lot of times they have been at odds with each other. That guy's a technologist, or this guy's a scientist, and this guy's a, a musician. And I just say, no, they're all really part of the same thing. So you're kind of saying, like, there's no set way in, right? It's it's kind of, you know, you were a musician, and then you worked on different video games and things, and you ended up here because you went on this nonlinear journey of following, learning what you felt compelled to learn. That is a good way to describe it. <laughs> I think nonlinear is also a good way. Fractal might also be another way of describing it because oh. there are so many different facets and the details are so intricate. Yeah. You know, it's like the snowflake or other systems like, you know, the branches of a tree and all of those analogies that we have. We take, every time we make a decision in our lives, it takes us down a path or a branch. You know, if you look at the trunk of the tree and if that's strong, <laughs> right, then it's probably going to be a good path. It's a path with a heart. I don't know how many of you have read Carlos Castaneda. It doesn't matter what path you take. It's just you walk on a path with a heart. That's what's important. Wow, this is so inspiring. I'm so excited to share this conversation with people and to re-listen to it. This potential that you and your team bring with these energy systems, putting these living components together in a way that is helpful to the planet and generates what we need to survive. (laughs) It's so hopeful. So I'm just like grateful that you exist. Oh, thank you. I'm grateful (laughs) that you exist. You've got to keep doing it. We've got to do all of these things. 
There's yeah. no one solution that's going to make it. I mean, they're all, they're multiple solutions. Sometimes I look at all of these components related to bringing about this regenerative reality and it feels to me like a web. Or if you are a little bit of a mycology nerd, like a liquid <laughs> culture, you know, yes. like it's, it would look when you're looking at it flat, a little bit like a spider web, but it's actually 3D and it's in all these directions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of my, my partners who passed from breast cancer, she was an astrologer. And she is the one that opened my mind up to the universal web, you know, her ability to look at somebody's chart and see their soul and who they were. I just thought, wow, that's amazing. And then, of course, I'm as a scientist, I'm always running experiments on her clients, right? She's stomping <laughs> on my foot trying to get me to shut up. But, but the idea is like, yeah, did it really happen within this period of time? And, but I realized that just having that experience with her, that there is so much that we don't know. We, there's more that we don't know than what we know, that's for sure. So we are very young at doing all of this stuff, and I want to see us continue. Yes. Gosh, I think about that a lot. I'm like, the more I learn, the more I become aware of how much I don't know. It's beautiful, yeah. and it's also kind of mind-boggling, depending yeah. on if you believe in reincarnation and these different things. But it's like, gosh, I have this span of time. You know, how much can I Yeah. Um, I'm trying to use that concept to help people to make better choices, because I, I tell them that they cannot die their way out of the bad choices they've made, Ooh. that they might reincarnate into a garbage dump of their own making. So do you want to come into a garden of your making or do you want to come into a garbage dump? Wow. Right? And that's, I mean, because a lot of people just say, well, I'll be dead by the time, you know, mm -hmm. that happens. And yeah. I go, yeah, but what if you're not? <laughs> <laughs> what about your children? What about your children's children? Yeah. What about all of those things? Mm -hmm. They are you. We are, I am you. Mm -hmm. Right? That's the, that's the sort of the entanglement theory. We have to understand that we are each a part of each other. Is there anything else you want to tell everyone beyond what we've already said before we wrap up? Yeah. Why don't we all keep the conversation going and continue to build on what we've done so far and what we're doing here. And you can contact us through regenatech.com. There's a contact us page. If you put your information in there, we're not always really good at responding because there's so much going on right now. But at least we will have captured you as a participant in our army that we're building our revolution. Okay, yeah. So that would be excellent. And then, of course, there's there are places where people can donate to some of the projects. Like this project that we're doing here is a nonprofit. is funded through nonprofit, but is also partially funded through the Maui Council Climate Change Committee. So anybody that has access to that and they want to help, if, if they can't participate physically, they can participate by helping us convert farmers from destructive, what they call conventional, I don't know why it's called conventional, farming to organic regenerative practices. Okay, so where can people donate? It, that's, uh, if you go to the regenatech.com site, okay. and there's a link to the Regenatech Fund page too. So those are two separate entities. We have to keep them separate. Wow. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you for sitting down with me today. This is exciting. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for listening, everyone. Make sure to visit Michael's website, which we'll link in the show notes, and donate if you can, and we'll see you next time. What I love about Michael Smith's work is it paints such a hopeful picture for us humans here as positive members of the community of Earth. I know that this episode is pretty information dense, and so I hope it wasn't too much for everyone. You know, it's my first recorded interview on this podcast, so just starting out strong, and I hope everyone likes it. 
please make sure to follow along with us on Instagram at Regenerative Revolution Podcast to be notified of new episodes coming out. We're going to be having so many brilliant guests. I hope to have Michael back on again, and I cannot wait to share the next interview with you guys. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Regenerative Revolution Podcast. We have all the tools we need to become educated and activated into positively co-creating with the life force of the earth. This podcast is here to help the transition along and help us all get inspired, connect, and act. Please remember to hit subscribe, rate us five stars, and even leave us a nice review. It really helps the show rise in the rankings and helps this message get out to more and more people. Who do you want to hear interviewed next? It's important to me that this is a co-created exploration and I would love everyone's suggestions for the next episode. You can send those suggestions to me via the Instagram for the show at Regenerative Revolution Podcast, or you can send them to my email, JenningsIngram at gmail.com. Thank you so much for co-creating this adventure with me and thank you from the bottom of my heart for being an essential part of the Regenerative Revolution. See you in the next episode.